So number one, I would hop on meetup.com. Meetup.com, I would search for a local real estate investing meetup. And my preference is in person. Um, and then I would go to it. Okay, so that's step one. Meetup.com, look up real estate investing uh, meetup in your city and go. They- you are an engineer. You're smart. You've worked hard. You've been dedicated to one of the world's most needed professions. And now it's your turn to build some passive income. This is Engineers That Invest. You want financial freedom and security, and we're about to teach you how to do it through investing in commercial real estate. On this show, you'll get educated and inspired on building that passive income. Get ready to learn how to retire on your own terms. This is Engineers That Invest, and now your host, Nde Kimbang. Hello, Mr. Brandon Jenkins. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. We finally got you on after about three (laughs) reschedules, maybe four. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Just a few. (laughs) Glad we were able to work it out, though, you know? That's that's how you know business is going well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's we we were busy, but it was the good the good kind of busy. You know what I mean? Like it's it it would be a problem if we were rescheduling for no reason if we weren't doing anything. Now now we got a problem. (laughs) Oh yeah, but yeah, man, glad to be on on the show for sure. Well, yeah, you know, we first connected on LinkedIn, and I had been seeing a lot of the contests you were making, and you were a former engineer, which Mm. as for me, I was saying engineer, and I really thought it'd be great to connect so we'll kind of before we get into the real estate mogul that you've become let's <laughs> let's rewind a little bit i'd love to know about your engineering life absolutely man would love to so because for me it really served um as the foundation of what what i do now and sort of how i think and process information so um, by degree, I am a chemical engineer. And so I went to, I'm here in, in the DC area, born and raised, uh, but I went to Howard University. And so I have a, um, an under, undergraduate and a graduate's degree uh, uh, in, uh, in chemical engineering. And my focus at, when I uh, was in grad school, my focus was actually on nanotechnology. So I did some material science and, you know, and um, I really enjoyed that, but I didn't want to be in a lab. You know, the, the type of work that I was doing would have kind of put me in a lab, <clears throat> even though I enjoyed the uh, deep technical analysis and experimentation, all that good stuff. Uh, professionally, th- though, I am uh, or was a, prof- a petroleum engineer. And so um, I remember when I was interviewing kind of on campus, the uh, I, the employer or the, the, the career fair that we had on site, um, the recruiters were, you know, having conversations with us about particular uh, potential roles. And I actually thought they were interviewing for roles here in the area because they, they, uh, they used to have this particular employer. They had some sites that were in the Virginia area. Uh, but it turned out that they were actually looking for people down in Houston. So um, I had no idea what a petroleum engineer actually did. I mean, I was, I was familiar with the discipline, but Howard university does not have like a petroleum engineering uh, uh, degree there. So I had to learn a lot kind of like after the fact, man. But um, my first role was as a drilling engineer. So I worked on uh, rigs. I did some offshore work. I did some uh, onshore work. And um, and uh, I did that for a number of years, really enjoyed it. Uh, some hard work, you know, hard, hard projects with uh, large capital projects, great people. 
um, I went from there to working as what's called a reservoir engineer. And we can kind of go into a little bit of more detail, but um, but uh, those, those two roles, they're, they're very different. One is kind of operations heavy. You know, you're really designing. It's, it's really mechanical and civil engineering heavy. And so um, so that was kind of the focus of that work there. But then the reservoir engineering side is really more it's a little bit closer to the balance sheet. So you're, you're doing things that uh, ultimately would be presented to senior management so that they can then present it to uh, the street, to Wall Street. Um, so so two distinct roles, but I learned a lot in, in both of them. So when with that, did what was the biggest takeaway from your engineering roles and what really led you to <laughs> want to look into more ways to build income? Did you just immediately mm. jump into real estate or kind of how was that journey? Uh, so I'll answer the first one, um, first question there. So the takeaways as far as uh, uh, engineering is concerned and how I parlayed that into real estate, um, really both of them lend themselves well to what I do now um, as a syndicator. And as an operator. So on the, the drilling engineering side, it's so heavy on operations. It's personnel management, it's safety, it's time and cost. And so, and it's materials, you know, so you, you're doing, you're doing a lot. It's project management at its core. You know, you have to make sure that, um, that the project is well designed, that you work with the people who are going to be on site executing the work, that you uh, build up that rapport with them because you can't just be an engineer that's sitting in the office. You got to hit the field, so you need to build up that rapport and you need to communicate effectively, you know, so people understand exactly what the plan is and uh, what the tolerances are with the plan, you know, what success looks like. But what happens if, you know, if uh, one particular area doesn't perform so well, how does it impact the rest of the picture and how does it impact people who are going to be um, on site after we leave location? So um, it really operations, really personnel um, and understanding kind of um, like the boots on the ground, the actual work getting done. And how that impacts the overall uh, 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 objective, and so so really, you could look at that as sort of almost like an operations project manager, property manager kind of thing, where it's it's like, okay, how does this impact the portfolio? But the work still needs to be needs to be done at a, 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 a sort of a micro level as well. Um, so that's how that one helped me on the reservoir engineering side. Um, you know, before I joined that team, I really was not an Excel. You know. I wasn't as good at, at Excel. I wasn't as good at understanding, you know, how to build a model and and how to um, really quantify and characterize asset value, like how to do these. I mean, it's, the work that I did in that role, you know, I look back on it and the teams that I worked with were absolutely incredible. Um, and I, I just learned a ton um, about financials, about, you know, discounted cash flow modeling, different types of asset value. So, so really enjoyed that one. Um, but in terms of your other question, like how did I how did I get started? Oil and gas is a really good business. Okay, um, it's one of those things that when the industry is doing well, then everyone is doing well. Okay, and uh, you know we're happily employed and we're you know working on bigger and bigger projects. Um, however, it is tied to a, it's a tied to a commodity, and so when the price um, falls, then in my experience, it is one of the more reactive um, uh, sectors. To where they're going to, there's going to be some personnel reduction, and so I worked through three different downturns in my t- time as a petroleum engineer, and the second one was the largest one. So for anyone who kind of remembers, you know, oil and gas prices went from like 126 dollars a barrel down to like 18 bucks or something like that a barrel in 2014, 2015. 
And so, um, so, you know, I had always been interested in building wealth just in general, you know, and, and so I didn't really know how I was going to, you know, do it. But around that time, I was like, okay, I have to do something to offset some of this risk. And so one of my good buddies from college, he actually invested in properties, but he flipped properties. And so I went out to kind of check his operation. And I was like, man, I really like this, but it's not quite what I wanted to do because I wanted some predictability and um, and I wanted cash flow. So I started to rent properties out, um, single family properties. So that's kind of how, you know, how I got my start. And um, and that's how the two roles that I worked um really kind of helped me in, in, in my current uh, position. So just to understand, so you started with single families, like many mm. people, how long, how long were you with single families and are you still focused within single families now? No, I'm, I'm fully uh, multifamily right now, but I started, I did, I did, I was in a single family game for about two and a half to three years. So um, so I, I bought 12 properties in that time. I was working with a portfolio lender, which which is why I was able to go above the 10 uh, max and also kind of had them, uh, you know, I built a, a strong relationship before I bought property number one so that we, you know, we kind of had a, a bit of a process going to where I could very quickly and they didn't have like a, a long seasoning period or anything like that. So I was able to build up the portfolio pretty quickly. So. Okay. So with that, how did you gain the knowledge when you were able to jump in, get into real estate, buy 12 properties, and then from there going to multifamily? How'd you learn? So, so I, I did it kind of the old school way, man. I mean, I, I you know, books, um, I read, I, once, once, I, once the book sort of bit me um, and I got interested, I read tons of books. I mean, I, and that was before I, you know, these days I have, I have everything on Kindle now, <clears throat> but back then I was just buying a ton of books writing notes in the margin, transferring those notes to something else. Um, and uh, I was big on podcasts. So, so at that point, bigger pockets, I mean, I think they had like maybe a hundred episodes or fewer, I forgot, but, but what I would do is every, is I, on my way to work, I would listen to one episode or at least a majority of one episode. And, um, and then on the way back, I would listen to another one. And if I could, while I was at work, I'd have my, my, my uh, earphones in and I would just kind of listen to it and maybe take notes. And so I did that for a long time. And so I, I ended up compiling like all these notes and and ended up ended up sort of formulating a strategy that I thought would work. And um, and that was it. I just after that, I, I started to uh, go and meet with, you know, agents and go and meet with the lenders um, because I wanted to put the pieces together in order to uh, to take action. So that's kind of how it how it uh, started. Tell, tell me a little bit about that moment when you bought that first property, when you <laughs> Mm-hmm. officially say that I'm a real estate investor. I, I I was scared, man. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I was so um so I'll give you a little backstory here. So my uh uh my my parents um they used to work in landlord tenant law and um and they did that here in DC. So anyone who is familiar with the DC area you know that it is an extremely tenant friendly um city. And so it's not uncommon to have like a tenant living in a property for a year or something crazy, you know, before you can really do something about it. <clears throat> and so for them, uh, a lot of the, the, what they saw was really kind of the, the, the bad side of it. And so um, I, I was pretty scared because, you know, we'd had conversations before I really even uh, wanted to invest in real estate um, just about some of the things that they saw. And, and so when I finally, you know, kind of expressed it, Hey, I think we want to do this. 
you know, for they shared cautionary tales with me. They didn't say don't do it at all, but you know, they shared some cautionary tales. And then for me, of course, I, I it sort of brought back all the things that I'd overheard them talk about in the past. Um, and I was very, very scared. Um, but the thing that made me feel better was the education. And it was also seeing someone else that did it. So, cause you remember I, I mentioned my college buddy, you know, he's a good friend of mine that um, I saw his operation. So that for me was huge because it, it was no longer just, you know, a, a book. It was no longer just someone talking about it on the podcast. It was no longer just my notes or these little spreadsheets that I built. It was okay. This, he actually went and bought this property. He followed the system. He has, you know, multiple properties that he now owns. So it was seeing it that really pushed me over. And, um, and I, I haven't looked back. <laughs> so that was what did it for me. Then at <laughs> what point did you transition into multifamily? Mm-hmm. And also, I know you say you're within real estate full time now. At what mm-hmm. point did you transition out from your job? Um, so I, I switched over to multifamily when I, I realized that, um, you know, for the amount of time that I was spending buying, say, like one or two properties that I really could have been buying uh, multiple doors. And, um, and and also I started to realize a lot of the vacancy risk and realize the um, the lack of economies of scale that you have to deal with when you're on the single family side. <clears throat> because the reality is, you know, most people who invest in single family, um, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not downplaying it, but this is just the reality of the situation. So most people who are single family investors, on average, they're not going to have more than ten properties. Okay, so if someone, someone says, "Hey, yeah, I invest in single family." They, usually, they're not, they're not on the order of fifty properties, fifty doors, or something like that. It's, it's usually going to be ten or fewer, um, and oftentimes five or, or less. So, um, although it feel, it definitely feels good to be a real estate investor. If you have fewer than 10 or even 20 uh, doors, then you are inherently subjected to vacancy risk. Okay. Uh, because if you have a couple of properties, three, four properties that are empty, then your portfolio is taking a major hit. Um, and also if you have, um, sort of this mechanical or structural risk that, that you also are dealing with, because, you know, you have, fewer systems servicing fewer doors. And what I mean is if you have say 10 properties, then each of those is going to have a structural system that's servicing that one property. If you compare that to a hundred unit or 200 unit property, you know, then your effective cost per unit, if you do have an issue from a structural standpoint is significantly lower because it's not going to impact, you know, all 100 units normally. So, so it's just, you have these things that really are in your favor on the multifamily side that you don't have on the single family uh, uh, side. So that was sort of, for me, was kind of the the rationale um, in making the switch. Um, and, and so that was when I did it. So I got to 12 properties. And at that point, I, it really hit me. I need to scale. And um, and that was when I mentally made the switch. I didn't actually make the switch, though, until 2019. And so, um, and this also coincides with when I uh, went full time. So in 2019, I got laid off because you remember I was talking about oil and gas being volatile, great industry, but being volatile. <clears throat> got laid off in 2019 and uh, I immediately rolled uh, half of my 401k over into a self-directed account and put it to work. So because by that point I had already been trained, uh, uh, educated on syndication deals and I wanted to be a limited partner or a passive investor in syndication deals. So I, I rolled over half of that 401k and started to invest in a few deals as a limited partner 
And that was when I essentially made my switch. So I didn't actually buy any more single family deals. In fact, I sold them a, a year after that um, in order to roll to, 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 to level up into multifamily. Okay. So you sold, so you sold all of the single family once, mm-hmm. once you got a taste, you were like, Hey, I'm, I'm all, all in. in. <laughs> yeah, I'm all in. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Yep. No, that's, that's really interesting how a negative aspect turned into something positive, right? You being mm-hmm. laid off was the kind of push that you needed. Mm-hmm. It was, I was listening to something the other day and it was talking about how it was interesting. It was talking about like, it was like a parable. It was like, Hey, a rabbit was sitting on a pin and then every <laughs> single time it would just go back and sit right back down. And mm-hmm. this person was like, Hey, how come? But it's because the pain is not enough. So it's yeah. like, it's like, ah, you just go back. It's not that, it's not that bad. I'm used to it. But now mm-hmm. you, you were laid off. It was yeah. like, okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that one that one, man. It's you know, yeah, I could talk about that for a while. I I'll 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 just make it short but just by saying that um it it's I understand why people why the normal reaction is to rush back uh to finding something. And and to be honest with you, look, I'll even say, um, for me, so it was the catalyst that 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 pushed me to say, okay, this is, I'm going to be this, uh, I'm going to do this full time. I already knew that I was going to at some point, but um, initially what happened was actually that I told myself, Hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to take six months and I'm going to get some stuff set up and you know, I'm going to test it out and I'm going to see how it goes. Okay. Um, and so six months uh, came and went the oil and gas industry did not recover for, um, I forgot what year it was, man, before, for a, a, like a, a very short period, it went negative. Like, so, the, so it just really was taking a hit. Um, and it just coincidentally was after, you know, not too long after I got laid off. Um, so I tried to get, to go back and for a while, even, and this is, even though I knew I had all the built up all the knowledge, I, I had a portfolio. And by that, by the, by the time where I, I, um, said that I'm going to try and go back, I also had a portfolio of, of deals that I had invested in as a limited partner. So I was in really good shape, but, um, the conditioning grabbed a hold of me. Um, and, and, you know, I just kind of look, I, I looked at it as like God saying, you know, Hey, uh, you know, you, you're not going back. <laughs> so, because nothing worked out. I tried to, I tried, I called everybody and said, Hey man, I'm ready to get back to work. And it didn't work out. And so, um, but fast forward to now, obviously, you know, much better position and everything goes, everything's fine. Um, everything was fine then, but I just, I was mentally conditioned to say, I got to get back in there. And so it took me some time to really say, you know, Brandon, this is what you wanted. You're doing well, let's keep moving forward. And so that's what I did. Uh, but it's not easy, though, you know, and so I do understand that parable is a, is a very appropriate one because it's not, you know, once you've had like five, 10, 15 years of work and consistency and things like that, it's not easy to to make that shift unless you were exposed to it um, early on. People who are exposed to entrepreneurship, things like that, they tend to fare a little bit better uh, with that. But if you were not really exposed to it, it's difficult. Yeah. So then once you had made that transition, what were some of the early challenges that you faced you know to be honest i i had a i had a really good experience with it the, t- the one thing that i would say is a challenge i won't say that it was a particularly difficult one for me but in general um what you want to do when you are investing in um you know syndication deal passively and and just for the sake of just to, to make to, just for to clarify syndication deals are when investors pool capital to buy large assets. I know you know that, but just for you, uh, anyone who might mm-hmm. be listening, 
So, and the two groups are the active investor or the general partner where they find the deal and then the passive investor or the limited partner where they uh, uh, contribute capital to the, to the deal. Okay. So um, the challenge for limited partners or passive investors in a syndication deal is to get comfortable with the sponsor. Okay. And so for me, I would say that was one issue was I didn't really know at first, well, okay, where, where are the sponsors? What does that, what does that mean? Who, who are we talking about here? Is this real? Because <laughs> I, like I said, I never knew anything about this. So is it real? And then the other one is um, how can I get educated? Because the level of analysis that I did, um, the, like the profitability analysis, the deal analysis for single family is very different once you switch over to the multifamily space, especially for syndication deals. And so, um, so those were the things that I needed to tackle. Um, you know, thankfully going to meetup uh, groups and things like that, uh, I was able to to tackle that that challenge pretty uh, fairly easily. But that is that's what you have to do. You have to you have to get plugged into groups that will help you answer those questions that you have. And so th- those were the challenges that I that I would say that I had. But but um, I was able to, to sort through them fairly quickly. Yeah, it's really interesting because you started first investing passively as a limited partner. At what point were you like, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna get my feet wet. Yeah. I want to be active. It took me about, what, two, three years, two years before I was like, okay, I want to get active. Um, and what's interesting, man, is, you know, so when I started investing as a limited partner, a few of the deals have sold. So they, so they were, you know, we're going to, we always project deals, you know, for like a five-year-old, something like that, five, seven. Um, but the deals that I've invested in passively that have sold, none of them were held for longer than three years. Like they've all sold in a relatively short amount of time. Um, so I got a taste of that. And um, that's the beauty of passive investing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, is that you're getting these returns and in uh, and, and the grand scheme of things, you're not really, you don't, you don't have to do anything. Once you vet the sponsor, the deal and everything else, then you're getting distributions, um, truly passive income. So I enjoyed that. You know, I was getting distributions from it. I was getting payout from liquidity events, uh, whether it be a refire. Well, in this case, it was all sales. Um, and so I that's that's partially why I continued to invest as a limited partner. So I was in eleven deals because some were selling, and I was like, man, this is good. I can just keep keep doing it. But um, when I made the switch, uh, it was um, for me. It was kind of through connections. You know, I met with people who I partnered with and who I really got along with well. And so, um, you know, they they had a deal that uh, they kind of got started with early on, kind of in the LOI phase. And then we partnered on some of those opportunities. But um, I, I always knew that I was going to switch to the GP side. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, I could I could have been ready just by the second deal as a limited investor. But it was really just because I got comfortable with it. And and, uh, and um, you know, once the returns start coming in, it just it just feels good. <laughs> so So that's kind of it. From the GP side, what's what is your specialty? What do you focus on? So the things that I bring to the table as a GP, I mean, at this point now, I'm I'm, I'm looking at deals as well. So uh, just from from you know being a deal finder, but in the deals that I'm a co GP on now, uh, it was really the underwriting, bringing the upfront capital, raising capital, and uh, or I like to say attracting capital is really the more effective way to do it. And um, also now as asset manager, so in the deals that we're working, I'm an asset manager on them. How would you suggest attracting capital? Mm-hmm. For my team, that's one of my biggest roles in terms of raising capital, mm-hmm. investor relations. How would you? What's the best way to do that? 
Um, so I think that it requires a sort of a multiple uh, uh, front, multi-front <laughs> attack or approach. Um, simply put, though, you know, I tell people, it, it, you know, the, this age old, this this notion that did the whole if you build it, there will come or if I have a strong deal, the capital is going to show up. Um, I, you know, maybe that worked at some point, but that does not work now. And um, what you'll find is if you have this home run deal and you have not warmed up your network and you ha- and you don't have people waiting for an opportunity, then it, you'll you'll struggle to raise the capital. And so, um, and I know that because I've, I attempted it firsthand. <clears throat> and so, what I share with people is um, ultimately the reason people invest is because of you. So it's it's you, it's your story that c- they make the emotional connection and they trust you. And um and, and so, so I teach people, my clients to learn to attract capital by putting your story out there, making sure, first of all, a lot of people will, will try and raise capital for a deal, but their network doesn't even know that they're a multifamily investor. And so it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, I, I, I teach people to listen, you have to work on your brand. You have to get your, get it out there that this is what I'm doing. You have to put the information out there. This is an education-based investment. And so you have to be the one to educate them. That's what, I, you, know, you know, this is me, the proverbial you. Uh, and so I, I tell people that like, it, it has to come from you because ultimately when people invest, it's because they trust you, your story, they like what you're doing. So um, attracting capital is, is something that for me, I have tried, I've had to do multiple things. I've had to put um, stay active on social media to share information, to sort of invite people into my journey. And I want them to also realize that by doing that, they can be the hero of their own story. Right. So they're basically taking on, um, uh, you know, uh, something that can change their family's financial future. So I, I share my story. I have a podcast where I interview people that can help give them information that will help them understand um, how this all works and and how it can it can uh, result in something positive for them. Um, and then my newsletter and, and and other things like that. So you just have to do it. I think it's it, there's no way around it. You have to put your information out there, but you do it long before you have a deal. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Oh yeah, I had we had a deal recently. We had an opportunity to co GP on, and I was like, oh, I was thinking that the capital raising aspect would not be difficult because you know I chatted with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, one person was like, oh yeah, I have two hundred thousand. No one's mm-hmm. like, I have fifty. I have this. When the actual deal came, crickets. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> crickets. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's how it is. You know, it's, you got to get them. You got to get them warmed up. I mean, you have to build up that interest. What one thing that I don't see people doing often enough, except for the big guy, for the pros is uh, webinars. You know, that's one of the most effective ways to get your people ready. You do a webinar, you you do multiple webinars, but you do it so that they understand who you are a little more about who you are, how you work, how you analyze deals, who your team is. You know, those kinds of things, because now the questions that they they have in their mind, you've answered them long before you say, oh, well, look, by the way, I have an opportunity for you. So 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 to me, that is a, one of the, one of the most if I had to say the, the one thing to do, I would say that's it. But I think it's more than just that. But, yeah, that's that's just how the, that's the name of the game. Certainly today it is. So with that, what is your current portfolio? So I am, well, total 2,900 units. Okay. And so um, on the LP side, 23, boy, my exact count. Uh, 
uh, it's um on the LP side, it's roughly it's just under twenty six, and then the balance of that is GP. <laughs> I forgot what the actual unit count is. So I mean, uh, um, yeah, I forgot what the actual door count is, but it's about twenty nine hundred. Twenty nine hundred. Oh wow, that's that's amazing. Thanks, thanks, man. Take takes takes time and and takes exactly what you know. I mean, it takes it takes uh, the net- networking. Right, underwriting deals, connecting with people, you know, and it's taken a long time. And it's funny, it's it's in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't taken long, but it certainly feels like it to me. It's like it's been a lot of work and uh, energy and effort. I've enjoyed it. That's one thing I have to say. I really have enjoyed it. Um, but it it takes a lot of effort to get there for sure. So, as compared to when you were focused on single families, what would you, what's the how would you compare the overall? operations and i would say the cash flow right the cash flow from when you were we were single families as compared to the the properties that you have now the ones that um, you operate and that you're investing passively in. okay so in terms of in terms of operations and, and by operations you just mean just overall kind of how it's so yeah so in terms of operations it, it is definitely far more uh, uh, nuanced and, ca- and complicated compared to single family. Uh, you know, y- you have far more uh, complicated structures. It's no longer something where you could just go and grab a hammer and grab a you grab your little tool kit, your tool belt, and get to work on it. it just doesn't work like that because the kind. So the types of deals that that I um, focus on are north of a hundred units. Okay, and so um, you know, so I'm going to have formal. Uh, property management, on-site property management. A lot of times uh, they're going to have, uh, we'll have nat- national representation as well. And so it's not something like where I'm going to go out and I'm actually going to do some work on the property. So the sweat equity piece does not, it's not in that way. It's sweat equity in terms of finding a deal, but not in terms of swinging a hammer. Um, so the operations are significantly dif- uh, different. Uh, and then cash flow is uh, uh, for me, I, like I mentioned, the analysis, I have to take it a step farther because my focus now is on my investors. And so when I run the analysis for me, my mid case, um, I have certain return criteria for my investors. And so if if I don't meet that criteria, then I then the, then the deal is one that I, I wouldn't uh, put an offer on. Yeah. OK, so so that's kind of the maybe the short way of, of answering the question. I hope that I hope that answers you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know you had mentioned that you look for deals that are north of 100 units. Mm-hmm. Where and what markets do you focus? So I uh, focus on Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, Richmond, Virginia now, which could, it's, it, has, it, has its, uh, it has some challenges there. But those are the three main markets I focus in. Um, the deal that we recently closed was actually in Northwest Arkansas, which I think is an incredible, incredible I market. Saw, Lots of growth I there. I saw that. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Huge, huge deal. I mean, great team, great leads on that one. So we just, I love that property. And so I love that market. I think it's a really, really solid market. There's a lot more kind of increased focus and attention and capital going there. So we'll see how things pan out here in the near future. I think it'll get even better. Um, But my core markets are, yeah, Houston, DFW, Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm actually moving out to DFW. Really? Sometime early next year. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. That's where the money is. I can might might go and see some deals and reach reach back out to you. Like, hey, let's partner on something. Let's do it. (laughs) But hey, now we're going to get into the last part of our interview where we ask every single guest 
these same questions. This is called the rapid blueprint. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So what is one book that every engineer turned investor should read? Um, well, for me, I know engineers, you know, we love to talk about metrics and numbers. One of the things that for me was uh, not a challenge, but um, one resource that I needed was a book that that talked about real estate metrics almost exclusively. And so I was able to find that um, years ago. So it's a book that's called What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and 36 Other Key Financial Metrics by uh, Frank uh, Gallinelli. And so, excuse me. And so it's a really good book because it really details all of the metrics and everything else in there uh, for you. And so early on, as I was building out my spreadsheets and things like that, I had that book sitting there next to me and I would build in uh, some of the metrics and things like that from from that book. So it doesn't do it doesn't do much um, of the heavy, heavy multifamily stuff, but it's really good for um, but it's it's really good either way. It's just there, there's a, a, a step further that you need to go if you're doing syndication analysis. But that's still a, a great read, a resource. Yeah, I've never heard about that book. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely got to check it out. What what do people misunderstand about you most? Um, Boy, that's a good question. <laughs> What do they misunderstand about me? Um, I, you know, I think that I, I get a lot of questions about, you know, kind of how I was able, especially for people who knew me in the past um, or who've known me for a long time. Um, and I get questions about kind of how I was able to make the adjustment and the shift into ultimately where I am now. And it is because I'm far more open to change than than people might think. Um, and I, I say that it's not maybe this isn't so much what people misunderstand about me, but this might also be what people misunderstand about what's required to succeed. Because, you know, I think that change is a good thing. And some people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'll still be the same old me. I never want to change. And I actually don't I don't think that's a good thing. I think that if you unless you are successful and unless you are doing what you want to do, then maybe we can maybe that's OK. But for me, I'm very much open to change. And so I'm always like I have a lifelong learning perspective on things. And so um, I'm, I'm willing to, to make changes in order to better myself. And so that's kind of how I've gotten here. And um, that's yeah, that's how I would would respond to that. Uh, uh, so hopefully that, you know, hopefully that does it. <laughs> Roundabout way of doing it. But there you go. <laughs> what's what's one piece of advice you give to engineers who are hesitant to take that leap mm. into real estate investing. If if I had to give one, I'm gonna give three. But I have to. <laughs> if I had to give one, man, oh, I have to on. say this: it is uh, d- don't let analysis paralysis stop you. Um, you know that's one of the biggest issues I've seen with a lot of my my buddies who are engineers. Is um, they we have this yearning to do an exhaustive study about the macroeconomics and international, you know, key. KPIs and indicators and leading and lagging indicators. And I want to do all this stuff before I buy one property. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? So, so it just is kind of like, it, it, I understand where it comes from because that's what we do every day is risk assessments, quant, you know, quantitative, you know, analyses. I get it, but um, this is real estate. And so it's about relationships. The, the time you're going to spend to build relationships 
will do much more for you than the time you spend working on a spreadsheet. And so, um, so the three things that I would say, honestly, well, that's, that's the one thing I would boil it down to that. I would say that don't let analysis paralysis stop you and um, seek, seek out someone who has had success with this and ask them the questions, you know, don't go, don't, don't kind of do this in a silo, Um, you know, ask, ask someone who's had success and then go from there. And where do you see your real estate investment journey taking you within the next five years? So for me, it's two things. One is growth. Um, you know, I, I didn't mention, but, but I'm the founder of Virch Prosper. And so that's the firm where, you know, I do all my acquisition and, and everything, whether it's either, as a co-GP or a lead. So for me, growth, I want to close on about, you know, a deal a quarter as Birch Prosper. So we'll be the lead on deals. And so for me, infrastructure going forward is a big thing that I'm focusing on now. Uh, the second thing is impact. So I, I think I mentioned briefly that I have a meetup here in the DMV area. And at the end of each of the in-person, it's both in-person and virtual, but at the end of the in-person meetups, you know, I would have people come up and say, hey, listen, do you have anything kind of one-on-one? And I didn't really have anything for a long time, like a one-on-one kind of a, you know, thing where I could help people grow. And and I told them, that's not really why I started this. But after a while, my wife was like, look, you know, people have been asking, you need to start something. Um, So I thought about what I could help people with that would move the needle the most. And it is learning to attract capital, you know, because the three things you, you need on a team, you need someone who can secure the loan. So you need like a key principal or something like that who has a strong balance sheet. You need someone who can manage the asset um, and you need someone who can bring the capital. We, we all raise capital, but you, you know, hopefully someone can bring a substantial portion of the capital. And that's the only one of those three where you don't have to have like this exhaustive uh, amount of experience before you can do it. You need to, you need to understand how to tap into your network and how to attract capital. So that's what I coach people on now is how to raise private capital, how to attract um, seven figures in private capital so you can close more deals and make more money for yourself and for your family and make an impact. And so those are the two things, growth and impact. Hey, love that. Mm-hmm. And finally, in just three steps, can you outline a simple blueprint for engineers who want to start their journey in real estate investing? So number one, I would hop on meetup.com. Okay. Uh, I would get on meetup.com. I would search for a local real estate investing meetup and my preference is in person. Um, and then I would go to it. Okay. So that's step one, meetup.com, look up real estate investing, uh, meetup in your city and go. Okay. Uh, the second one is while you're there, hopefully, I'm um, trying to connect with a few, uh, one or two sponsors or active investors. If, if syndication is your preference, if not, if it's just real estate investing in general, try and connect with someone who invests and who has had success with it and ask them your questions. Okay. And I say that because, especially for engineers, because we tend to think that we can kind of find it all out ourselves and do it ourselves. And I'm saying, don't do that. So go to the uh, to the meetup and then ask that successful person uh, uh, your question. Don't ask someone that has not had success or that hasn't done it at all, because the only opinion they're going to offer you is don't do it. <laughs> right. So go to someone that's done it. Um, and then the third would be, like I mentioned earlier, kind of don't let fear and analysis paralysis stop you. But but again, I'll have to I have to reiterate, you know, avoid going to people who have never invested in real estate. Avoid going to them to ask them about investing in real estate. Okay, because that that's that to me is just a kiss of death. Um, and something like this, everyone does that, and and it's because most of us we want to talk to our friends and family to say, should I do it? Um, usually they are not going to be as supportive as someone who has done it is going to be. Yeah, 
yeah, in another episode, I was talking to one of the guests and we had pretty much come to realization that a lot of the times the people that we are closest with, they love us so much and they have their, what they believe is what is good for us. Yeah. So when you're trying to go off of that path, it's like, oh no, that's risky. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it's holding you back. Right? Yeah. So yeah, they, they, they want to protect you, you know, and, and it's, it's understandable, but it's also, if it's, if it's, um, if it's not to your advantage, if it's not helping you fulfill your, your goal, then you have to look elsewhere. It's one thing if someone who has had success with it says that strategy might not be the best. Let me help you with another strategy. But, um, you know, be, going to the people who want to protect you sometimes is not always helpful for you. Okay. Hey, now that's one great way to end off this episode. So yeah, hey, Brandon, thank you so much for all the gems that you were able to drop. It was definitely worth the wait. And for all of the listeners who would love to stay connected with you, learn more of what you're doing, your deals, maybe try and learn how they can attract private capital. How can they reach out to you? Absolutely. So my email is brandon.jenkins. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Dot Jenkins, J-E-N-K-I-N-S at Birch Prosper. So that's at B-I-R-C-H-P-R-O-S-P-E-R.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Now, my name is Brandon Jenkins, so it's a pretty common name. So I'll be on LinkedIn. It might get lost in the this, in this shuffle there. But um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a, a podcast that's called The Capital Stack. You can check that out. But, um, but yeah, reach out to me on, on any of those uh, platforms and, and um, would love to hop on a call. I'm on calls all day long. So, you know, I love to, uh, to kind of share information, help and add value in any way that I can. So that's it. Yeah. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So anyone can just check that out and reach out to you directly. But hey, till right. then I will catch you later and catch all of the guests on the next episode. Thanks again, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks, man, for having me on your show, man. And just love what you're doing, man. So I really appreciate it. been listening to engineers that invest if you're an engineer or other busy professional and you want to learn how to build passive income this show teaches you how through real estate investments we'll give you all the tips and tools you need to retire on your own terms and spend more time with your families we hope you've enjoyed the show and we hope we've helped empower you to take control of your financial future if you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can get our free guide on passive income through multifamily investing at engineersthatinvest.com. And follow on Instagram at Proportunity Partner. See you next time on Engineers That Invest.